Amstel Fasen in The Hague. As the war on Gaza escalates, the world is now shifting its focus to the International Court of Justice, where more than 50 nations and several international bodies have converged to address the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories. Indonesia, a country with a long track record of advocating for Palestinian rights, is one of them. Its government has spoken out against Israel's decades-long occupation and called for international law to be respected. Israel must cease completely, unconditionally, and immediately all of its unlawful action and policies in the occupied Palestinian territory. As the nation makes its case at the ICJ, the Indonesian Foreign Minister Ratno Masudi talks to Al Jazeera. Indonesia's Foreign Minister Retno Marsudi, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you for having me. Indonesia is one of the countries on the forefront of the case at the International Court of Justice mm -hmm. on the legality of mm -hmm. the occupation of mm -hmm. the Palestinian territories. Mm -hmm. Why is this case so important to Indonesia? Look at what happened in the last 70 years. Atrocities, brutalities, killing almost every day, especially currently in, in, in Gaza. So. The question is, can we stay still, mm -hmm. observing this very worrying and sad situation? It is not. And in Indonesia in particular, our constitution mandated about it, about the right to self-determination. So it is mandated in our constitution, in Indonesian constitution, so there is no other way that Indonesia has to be in the forefront for the uh, Palestinian cause, um, in this case, is before the ICJ. But we have, of course, seen over the decades that mm -hmm. the situation hasn't improved, right? Yeah. For the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. We have had uh, an opinion from the ICJ before, mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Israel has completely ignored it. Yeah. Why do you think this time, this case will make a difference? The situation again. Number one, I want to respond first about the implementation with the of the decision of the UN resolution. And I mention it again and again in almost every meetings that I have, including during the G20 foreign ministers meeting. I mention about please avoid double standard. We said we need the international law. We need to uphold it and implement it in consistent manner. So to who did you say no double standards? To all, to all of us. Any, anyone in particular, maybe the US Secretary of State? I say it to all before the G20 meeting and also in any meetings. Because implementing the international law in a consistent manner. Because you feel very, it's not happening right now. It's not happening, as you mentioned. There is a rule before of the ICJ, it did not, I mean, uh, the application is not there. And how many UN Security Council resolution have already been adopted for the Palestinian, including the mentioning of the two-state solution. So again, the implementation is very important. And I mean, so many countries 
saying about the international law, international law, rule-based order, say it, implement it in a consistent uh, manner. And, and then, that's what you mean with double standards, right? Yeah. You're talking about countries like the United States or what, what other yeah, countries well, are you feeling now are having a double standard? Well, uh, particularly the Western countries. They quite often mention about the international law uh, rule base, but again, it applies to all. It applies to all. Whenever we see it, please also do it in a consistent manner, but not pick and choose. Because if it is pick and choose, then what happened is on, uh, on the Palestinian uh, people is just one of the very bad example how double standard applies in our uh, life. But Indonesia has a very close relationship with the United States, mm -hmm. right? You had a meeting also with Anthony Blinken, uh, the, the US Secretary of State yeah. in, in Brazil during the G20 yeah. meeting. What kind of pressure can you put? I mean, or is it the dependency you have from the United States that also holds Indonesia back because you're worried about the relationship? Um. I had a very good conversation and very good um, communication with Anthony Blinken. So we had a good communication. I can convey the position of Indonesia. And especially when I was in Brazil, I mentioned about number one, why the US vetoed again the resolution. Number two, I mentioned about how important two issues that should be upheld by the U.S. Number one is about displacement, because not everybody is worried about the displacement, especially on the southern part of uh, Gaza, in Rafa. Mm -hmm. So, and the U.S. Uh, administration clearly mentioned against it. So I said that, please keep it. But Number they have also, again, vetoed a resolution just a few yeah, days ago for the displacement. I think the, the position of the U.S. is very clear. So that's why I mentioned about the issue. But how do you feel about the veto? Uh, let me continue on the number two that I mentioned to uh, Secretary Blinken. The importance of U.S. to keep their position on the two-state solution. Because I'm really worried about this two-state solution. And the uh, <clears throat> government of the, uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu already mentioned that there is no two-state solution. There is no Palestinian uh, uh, solution. So what about all the decisions that we have taken in the UN, which we have to respect it? Mm -hmm. So I just want to present this is the resolution. This is the uh, decision that we have taken, which you involve in it. And what we need is to implement it but not to cut it as if that there is nothing. There is nothing, there is no resolution on the two-state solution. So what but kind of response do you get if you say this yeah. to, uh, uh, to Blinken, uh, for example? Yeah, Secretary Blinken mentioned yes. Uh, the US maintain the position on two issues that I mentioned, that is on the displacement and on the two-state solution. But I want to ask you again, how do you respond about the veto that again the US has, has put down on, on a resolution on, on a ceasefire? Mm -hmm. Because we know that hundreds of people in Gaza are mm -hmm. dying every day. Yeah, I convey my position that the ceasefire is very important because 
ceasefire is a game changer. And I mentioned it before the G20 meeting. Ceasefire is a game changer. Without ceasefire, I'm afraid that this situation will continue. But again, what uh, mentioned uh, by Secretary Blinken during uh, my meeting, uh, the meeting with me, is exactly like the same of the statement by the permanent representative of the US uh, at the UN during the UNSC meeting when the US video. But Indonesia, of course, is, is a very important player. It's the largest uh, Muslim country in the world, has a very strong cause uh, for the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. How do you feel as a, as a minister representing Indonesia in, a, in, this, in this circuit of international leaders who, who don't seem to do anything at the moment? I always mention that Indonesia will take any possible avenue to defend justice, to defend humanity and to be with the Palestinian uh, people. Because as I mentioned to you, it's already over 70 years. And I recall what happened in Bandung, the Asia-Africa summit. Palestine in 1955. In, in 1955, Palestine is the only country who did not enjoy freedom, uh, independence yet. So we owe to the Palestinian uh, uh, people. And again, number two, because it is in, uh, in the Constitution. And number three, though I al al always uh, mention that the issue of Palestine is nothing to do with the religious uh, issue. It is about the principle. But I think the voice of Indonesia as the largest Muslim uh, population um, it's very important. Because you, ha you will get a lot of pressure. I, I know you have a lot of pressure from Islamic organizations in Indonesia to do more mm -hmm. right, about the situation in Gaza. Don't you feel that Indonesia is, is kind of invisible right now on the world stage if you look at the situation in Gaza? <coughs> Should Indonesia not have a more prominent role? No. Indonesia, for this case, is very visible. It's very visible. And well, we don't see much, right? If you see what's going on between Europe, the Middle East, the US, and, and, and where is... No, no, we are Indonesia? very visible. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you. Uh, during the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, summit of uh, Arab Leagues and the OIC, Indonesia, represented by the foreign minister, is one of the foreign ministers that assigned by the leaders of Arab League and also the OIC to make effort to find ways to take uh, a toward the solution of the situation. So together with the Foreign Minister of Arab Saudi, Jordan, Egypt, Qatar, Turkey, Nigeria, Indonesia, and of course, Palestine, uh, we visited capitals of five permanent members of the UN Security Council. And then, when was that? Uh, it was in November. It was in November. So we visited every capital of P5 countries. And we also had a meeting with uh, Norway in Oslo. I could not make, uh, make it at that time. But the rest of the group visited Oslo, met the foreign minister of Norway, not only Norway, but also with the Nordic countries, mm -hmm. plus with the Benelux. But have you been able to make a difference during that visit? Yeah, at least, uh, for example, during the conversation, and I just met also the uh, new foreign ministers of uh, France. So we tried to compare notes and we tried to 
underline the importance of their contribution to solve the issue because without their contribution, the situation will go nowhere. So in terms of Palestinian issue, Indonesia is almost everywhere. But not very visible, maybe behind the scenes, but we don't really see it in the forefront. Maybe you're too focused, you're too focused on, on the surrounding countries, but in every meeting about Palestine, Indonesia is always in the forefront. In your speech, uh, you mm -hmm. said that all the countries, all the states are responsible. They have an obligation. Yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't the world step up much more in that direction? I think the world should, shall, shall step up. Um, you mentioned about the collective responsibility, the collective duty. It's true. We need that. We need that, especially, especially once again, the P5 the member of Security Council. They have their responsibility, they have their duty to end the atrocities. And but they use the veto every time and again. Yeah, well, that is the issue. That is the issue. So, once again, without collective responsibility, it's very difficult. And you mentioned about sanction. Um, in a conversation with a number of colleagues, I mentioned about if this kind of acts, this kind of policies does by other countries, what will be, can you imagine, what will be the reaction of the world? What I can imagine is list of sanction, maybe kicking off the country from many organizations will happen. But what about this? It's quite obvious it's, it happens every day, but I mean, it's unimaginable, uh, unimaginable, Ibu. Why we cannot solve the issue? Because again, the responsibility should be ours. All of us has the responsibility. Uh, your country, Indonesia, has started accession uh, discussions with the OECD, mm -hmm. the uh, Organization for Economic Development and Cooperation, as the first country in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. It's a very prestigious uh, thing. Mm -hmm. But there were some reports that Israel, who is also a member, was trying to block your accession. Have you, have you been forced to make some compromises there? No, no, no. I mean, um, I make my statement very clear since the, the very beginning. Of course, the accession is there. There is a discussion, the dynamics. I, I fully uh, monitor the situation. I had a very good conversation, communication with the Secretary General of the OECD. And I talked before the decision, I talked to all, almost all European Union uh, foreign ministers. In and they Brussels. supported you? Everybody support But, but Israel was trying to block it. And I mentioned that if the trade-off is between accession and normalization, with now, Israel, now the answer is simple, no. So? So, finally they decide to um, to accept the accession of Indonesia. This is just a beginning, Ibu. This is just a beginning. So there was no precondition because from there's Israel? There's no precondition. We will see, because some countries need about five years, some countries even need 
eight years. If I mention the benchmark for Indonesia to normalize the relation with Israel, actually is very simple. And we do not create a new element in it. That is the two-state solution. It's already mentioned everywhere. So the benchmark remains the two-state solution. If today Palestine got the independence, there is a two-state solution, then immediately, tomorrow, normalization will be there, as simple as that. But it's a prestigious thing, as I said, right? It means a lot for Indonesia, this, this uh, membership. Would you make that choice really on principal grounds to not become a member because Israel is there and is trying to, to block it? Once again, the process just started. So I don't want to give the hypothetical uh, answer on it. Let us see what is happening now. The processes are starting, but they understand the principle of the Indonesia uh, foreign policy. It's very clear. You talked a lot about self-determination, mm -hmm. right, in your speech uh, at the ICJ. Indonesia had, of course, also in the past, some groups within the country asking mm -hmm. for self-determination. The Papuan people in the east and you have the people in, in mm -hmm. the Moluccas. There were even some people protesting. What do you tell them about self-determination? Do you think that the case is similar? I'm I asking you. I don't think. I mean, comparing the issue that you mentioned with the Palestine issue is completely, completely different things. That is what I can say. And can you explain why? Uh, well, I mean, if you look at from all the angles, all the reason, it's, I mean, we thought explaining in details. A different it's history, quite, you it's mean. Quite, it's, quite, uh, it's quite clear that comparing, uh, I mean, we don't have to compare or we cannot compare, to be more exact, we cannot compare those two cases. But you can't explain a bit further why two of viewers who want to know, because I, I think they might not know. I just, I just give one example, the historical background. That's it. So Indonesia was also considering to uh, support the case of uh, South Africa at the genocide case, mm -hmm. right, at the ICJ. But then uh, that's impossible because Indonesia hasn't signed the genocide convention. Why is that? Why we are not there yet? Yeah. Yeah, well, the process is not, is not, uh, reach, uh, uh, does not reach the final states. Of course, to be a party of a convention, it is time. It takes time. And we are not yet to reach the consensus within the country about uh, being a party of the uh, genocide um, convention. But I talk with... Um, South Africa foreign minister in uh, Brazil, and we discussed about it. And I mentioned to her clearly, though Indonesia is not in the convention, is not a party of the mm -hmm. convention, but we give the moral support what South Africa is doing uh, right now. Because the vast majority of countries is, uh, is a signatory to the genocide convention. I think it's only like 40 countries who haven't ratified it, right? And mm. Indonesia is yeah, one of yeah. them. Is it, has it to do with the past, with, with what the happened national in consensus, 1965? No, the national consensus is needed in every convention that we will uh, choose to be uh, a party, a state party. And every country, of, of course, every country has uh, 
a different view, but every country needs also their national uh, consensus, mm -hmm. like Indonesia. But does it, does it have to do with things that happened like more than 50 years ago, like in 1965, when there was a lot of a different regime, right? Totally yeah, different. Well, I said, but there's been as I mentioned to you, killings Ibu, I mean, the national consensus is not there yet. Indonesia has been uh, called a success story. If mm -hmm. you look at the, democ the democratization, right? I was a witness myself. I've been in Indonesia mm -hmm. for a long time. Uh, and from an authoritarian regime to democracy, Indonesia was seen as an example. Uh, under this current president, Joko Widodo, it's been sad that there has been some setbacks on uh, democracy. And one of the examples is what happened with the nomination of his own son as a vice presidential candidate. And there was a change uh, in the constitutional court to lower the age limit for a vice presidential candidate, which was accepted by the court. And the, the, the ruling judge happens to be the brother-in-law of the president himself. This doesn't sound like the reformation, the reforms that I witnessed in Indonesia in all those years. Do you see this also as a setback? And how do you explain this to, to colleagues, for example, around the world? Well, every democracy uh, has, has always encountered dynamics or challenges. But rest assured, rest assured that democracy is already being of the DNA of Indonesia. How, how if do you, you know? mention, if you mention about the up and down, you mention about it up and down. As long as the DNA is there in our blood, I mean. But isn't it vulnerable are, if are, you look around the world? But the democracy is on decline, not only in Indonesia, but in other countries exactly. too. It's a vulnerable it, thing. It's a vulnerable thing. It's a vulnerable thing. And democracy is not falling from the sky. But we have to nurture it. And I think Indonesian people remains committed to nurture, to build democracy. Because again, after being a democratic country more than how many years? More than 20? 25. 25 years. I mean, being a democratic country for 25 years is very young. It is very But young. 25 years is enough for us to say that democracy is being one of the DNA of Indonesia. But would you then condemn what happened at the Constitutional Court? People I, call it nepotism. Now, mm, what I can say is that Whatever happened, democracy is part of the DNA of Indonesia. The other problem is with democracy might be the, the election of Prabowo Subianto as the new uh, president of Indonesia. Uh, he is known as someone who has a, a dark past, human rights abuses in the past, and also was banned by the United States for 20 years, and he is now elected and very uh, possibly will be the next president of Indonesia. How worried are you with him as the president about democracy. Again, Ibu, I mentioned already mentioned about the democracy, but I think as you mentioned um, during uh, before the conversation, that this interview will be focused on the Palestinian issue. So I think I'm enough conveying my message about democracy. That democracy is already part of the Indonesian DNA, and we have the commitment to strengthen democracy, whatever the situation is. 
So you would be part of the new government as the foreign minister? <laughs> uh, it is very difficult uh, question uh, for me, Ibu. I've been in my position for 10 years. So I think it's long enough. Really? Yes, it is long enough to be a foreign minister for 10 years. In those 10 years, a lot has changed, right, in the world. Mm -hmm. If you look back, because, I mean, it's been a very turbulent time, mm -hmm. I think, worldwide. Uh, we've just been discussing also the changing world order, mm -hmm. uh, also uh, double standard credibility of the West. How do you see, after 10 years, where the world is going? More uncertain, more unstable. That is what I, what, what I see right now. I'm a bit worried about the situation. If there is no commitment from all of us to make it better. But I try also to see from the other side of the coin. In any challenge, in any dynamic situation, there is a sense of resilience. There is a sense of collaboration, like in COVID, during the pandemic of COVID-19. So let us together nurture that sense of collaboration. I've seen a lot on your uh, Instagram how active you are as a foreign minister. You, you have these very cool videos, I have to say. So, so if you look at your career for those 10 years, mm -hmm. what is the legacy you leave as a minister? It's, again, it's very difficult because, I mean, I don't judge myself whether I... Uh, what sort of legacy that uh, I leave. Uh, but during the uh, 10 years, uh, it's very obvious there is a change of mindset from the Indonesian uh, diplomat. Because in the past, uh, we talk more on politics, but now in, any meet in every meeting, meeting with any countries, the politics is, is important, mm -hmm. as always. But economic cooperation becomes more important. Why di economic diplomacy is very important? Because it reflects the interests of the, uh, the, the people. And we know that the foreign policy should reflect the national uh, interest. So that's why the economic diplomacy is very dominant mm -hmm. during the last uh, 10 years. Number two is about protection of Indonesian national abroad. It becomes more stronger and stronger. And I'm so glad that during the 10 years, I got the opportunity or Indonesia got the opportunity to lead the G20 in 2022, as well as in ASEAN in 2023. Both years are difficult years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I said that it's like a nightmare when we were there. But thanks God, alhamdulillah, that we are able, Indonesia is able to pass through their presidency, their chairmanship in a good way. So where do you want to see Indonesia in 10 years from now? What I want to see is Indonesia keep playing as the bridging, uh, uh, to play a bridging role in the, in the world which is, I can anticipate it, that the gap, the differences, in the future remains and even maybe sharpen than now. Indonesia's Foreign Minister Retno Marsudi, thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. Thank you very much, Ibu. Thank you.